Hello and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. We're often asked about what's on the horizon in the world of payments. One thing which is just around the corner is that the FCA stands to get more rulemaking powers over payments firms. To explain how the FCA might use these powers and what it might mean for you, I'm joined by Jean Price and Francis Hodgkins. Jean, why is the FCA going to get new powers? So the big picture here is that there are significant changes coming down the line, which are going to, in essence, reshape how financial regulation is made in the UK. The broader context for this is, of course, Brexit and specifically the UK's intentions of how it's going to do regulation differently now that it's outside the EU's policymaking structure. So what are we going to see? Well, one difference is is how the rules are set. Now, the EU's approach, for the most part, puts financial regulation in legislation. The UK has now decided it wants to take a different approach and have regulatory obligations on firms to sit not on the statute books, but in the regulator's rule books. This is the vision which comes from a review done by the government over the last few years on the UK's future regulatory framework. And that review concluded that more responsibility should be handed over to the regulators for making the detailed rules that actually apply to the firms. It's partly because the regulators have the appropriate expertise and partly because it allows for more agile and more responsive rule book on the basis that you don't need to go through Parliament to get new legislation every time you want to tweak the rules. Thanks, Jean. That's helpful context because I think it's, it's clear that the FCA is going to play a larger role in the future when it comes to regulatory policy making and, and setting the rules. But does the FCA not already have powers to, to make rules over payments firms? It definitely does. But what's interesting about the way payments regulation has evolved in the UK is that when payments first became regulated in the UK under the first payment services directive, rather than bringing that into the regulated activities order and the FISMA regime, it was done by separate treasury regulations. So we're now going to see, I think, a bit more of a drawing together of things as if they were regulated activities. So it has the powers that are set out in the moment under the payment services regulations, but the key question is whether those powers are sufficient. Do they allow the FCA to take on full responsibility for setting rules so that those rules could then replace the existing payments legislation? And the government thinks not. So there appear to be two main sticking points. Firstly, as things stand, the FCA is limited in how it can make rules for payment institutions in e-money institutions. It can't make rules which only apply to those types of firm unless similar rules also apply to other types of payment service providers such as banks. So the FCA's hands are somewhat tied at the moment if it wants to make rules that differentiate between different types of payment service provider. And the second point brings us back to one of our favourite topics on these podcasts, which is safeguarding. As you know, the FCA has argued for a long time that segregated funds should be held by e-money and payments firms on behalf of their customers on trust. The courts, on the other hand, have disagreed with that view. The government's now looking at changing the FCA's rulemaking powers to settle this argument once and for all. And we'll come back to the safeguarding saga in a moment. But first, Francis, how is the FCA going to be given these new powers? Thanks, Simon. There are two important pieces of legislation for you to look at uh, and look out for over the next few months. The first is the Financial Services and Markets Bill, and this should be enacted in the coming weeks. This bill is a landmark piece of legislation for financial services, and it covers a lot of different topics. 
one of the main things it does is lay the groundwork for the future regulatory framework, which Jean mentioned earlier. It gives powers to government and the regulators to start working through the regulatory requirements that sit in legislation, especially EU laws, which the UK retained after Brexit, and hand those over to the regulators. It's in this context that we get the second bit of law, which is relevant to this conversation, and that's the Electronic Money and Payment Services Amendment regulations. Um, and the government published a draft version of these um, regulations as part of the Edinburgh reforms, which were announced a few months ago. And it's these regulations that are going to be the vehicle for granting the FCA more powers over payments firms, isn't it? That's right. And uh, the detail gets a bit complicated because these regulations amend other regulations, which themselves amend other law. But yes, keeping it simple, the regulations effectively extend the FCA's powers over payments firms. And this includes addressing the two points that Jean mentioned. So, for example, the regulations amend the payment services regulations and the e-money regulations to remove the current limitations on the FCA's rulemaking power in the world of payments. The idea is that this should set up the FCA to be more flexible when setting rules for payments firms, including as and when retained EU payments law is replaced. The other important thing is that it does extend the FCA's power to impose a trust over client money. At the moment, the FCA can only do this for firms authorised under FUSMA, which doesn't include payment institutions or e-money institutions, for example. And this then brings us back to the argument over safe, um, safeguarding and segregated funds. As you know, from our previous podcast on this topic, the FCA's view is that firms which safeguard their clients' money by segregating the relevant funds hold these funds on trust. This has led to a saga because the FCA's interpretation was initially supported by case law, but more recent insolvency proceedings have challenged this view. Most significantly, court decisions relating to insolvency of an e-money institution called IPAGU have concluded that the current regulatory framework does not impose a trust. Broadly speaking, the court felt that it wasn't necessary to impose a statutory trust because the existing law already provided the customer with protection in the event of uh, the firm's insolvency. Having lost the argument in the courts, it now seems like the FCA will be given the powers to settle the debate. So if the Treasury makes these regulations as drafted and, and if the FCA use these new powers to say that segregated funds are held on trust, what's that going to mean in practice? Well, that largely depends on who you ask. It'd probably be good news for customers. It looks like you would be doubly protected if your payments firms go bust, for example. If the firm has complied with the segregation requirements, then there should be money being safeguarded for you. And that's under the current rules. Um, however, if the firm hasn't complied with the requirements, you should have more chance of recovering those funds via trust law than you would otherwise have. Um, but imposing a trust on segregated funds does raise several questions. I think the firms, um, payments firms and their custodians will, will want more detail from the FCA and government about what the implications are of moving from a contractual relationship with your customers to establishing a trust relationship. You'll need to think carefully about trustee powers, um, the potential for equitable remedies, your relationship with your custodian bank, uh, the potential impact on deposit protection and so on. Not to mention, of course, the interaction with the new consumer duty. So what's going to happen next? 
Good question. The amendment regulations I mentioned earlier are currently only in draft, but at some point after the Financial Services and Markets Bill is enacted and comes into force, these will be finalised and then made law. In parallel with these changes to the law, we're expecting the FCA to consult on changes to the safeguarding regime. That consultation will presumably explain in more detail how the FCA plans to use these new powers. Until then, you can expect the FCA to continue to reiterate the importance of having fully compliant safeguarding arrangements, as indeed they did in the recent portfolio letter, which we covered in our previous podcast. That's right. And you can catch up with that and all previous episodes via the Linklater's webpage. For now, thank you to Francis and Jean, and thank you for listening. <laughs>